Hey, player two. It's me, Kitty M. Wow, you've been asleep for a while, but you made it back to the land of Pod. Just in time, too. We're gonna talk about Batman Day and how each one of the Robins should fight it out to the death. Why Burt Reynolds wouldn't have made a good Han Solo. And also, I talked for a lengthy time about pockets. Come on, player two. Let's roll. Too. Come in, sit down. Happy Batman Day, where at the moment, Ben Affleck is still Batman. Unless the headlines, which have constantly been proven false, are actually true, in which case he's no longer Batman. He's kind of like the Schrodinger's Batman. But not really, because all of the articles about him not wanting to be Batman anymore, much like the negative reviews of Solo, are wrong. Unless, like the negative reviews of Solo, they become self-fulfilling prophecies. You know what? Let's just not worry about it. That's the way I'm dealing with most of my problems these days. I got a whole lot of news off the board. Lots of things are happening in the land of Pod. Like, in anime news, the fairy tale movie has finally dropped and... Oh, be still, my weebish heart. It's beautiful. Even more beautiful than the trailer revealing that Animal Crossing is going to be on Switch. Which is pretty darn cute as a trailer, by the way. It all makes me want to tell you about the very cool anime and Japanese games that I love very much. But Player 2, there is no time. There is so much news and so much I want to tell you. Like, Chelsea Kane's comic, Vision, has been cancelled by Marvel. She's not being quiet about it, which I suspect they're not entirely thrilled with. This was a pretty big deal. After Kane was hounded off Twitter for her work on Mockingbird, which is still one of the best comics I've ever read, it was kind of up in the air as to whether or not she would be coming back to comics. And so her coming back to Marvel with Vision, I was really looking forward to this. But turns out it's uh, been knocked on the head. Luckily, this is far from the last we'll see of her, because Man Eaters is coming out from Image Comics. Long story short, it's about menstruating women who become man-eating wildcats, and it just really speaks to my needs and experiences. Interesting things are happening in esports too. Australia missed out on a spot in The Owl, which I like to call it because I'm one of the cool kids. That's Overwatch League for you nubcakes. But it's not that surprising. Australia's internet is terrible, so you can't game with that. And I'm not surprised that they've given another spot to China. I'm just saying Shanghai Dragons has a chance next time round. Maybe. They're still the team I'm going for. And Epic Games are stepping it up with Forknife's latest esports schedule with a $10 million prize pool during a six-week skirmish event. They're calling it Fall Skirmish. So it's nice to see games developers still don't really understand that seasons are different in different parts of the world. And also, have you seen the seasons recently? It was 32 degrees here yesterday. It's spring. Seasons have no meaning anymore. You know what does have meaning? The new Titans trailer featuring Jason Todd and Dick Grayson meeting up in the most awkward of ways, but more on that later. Oh, oh, thank you. I don't know whether you can see this player too, but the orc bartender has brought us a treat. Before you got here, I did some daily quests by myself with comic book news, and as a reward, you get to have my quick hot takes on them. I know they're in the shape of pies, but they are quick hot takes. So recently, Scott Snyder was given a piece of paper that was shown the odds on comics creators and, and whether or not they'll be denouncing a certain section of geekdom who are very super scared that not all creators and stories will be about white cis straight dudes because of something something conspiracy to take over comics. I'll just name these people with conspiracy geeks. Let's call them CG for short. 
and I've gone into this before and I've touched on this subject, but in particular, the thing that annoys me are the bad odds for Kevin Smith and Greg Capullo. Because of course, Kevin Smith isn't going to be supportive of these numpties. Dude's Daredevil include literally a whole part where slut shaming is a sign that there is something drastically wrong with the character, and literally the entire Viewerskew universe, but let's just take Chasing Amy as an example, is a love letter to inclusion, especially in comics and the need for representation and shifting ideals around gender and sexuality. For their time, and hell, even now by comparison, these are still wildly liberal and liberating movies and stories. And Greg Capullo has already said he wants diversity in comics. He shouldn't even be on the list. Dude isn't scared of other people's stories being told. Truth be told, I don't know that Capullo is scared of anything at all. He is a scary man. I like him very much. Another person I really like is Kurt Busiek. Uh, so he said something on Twitter just recently that really would take too long for me to tweet it out, so here it is. Someone asked Gail Simone when there would be more Canadians represented in comics. Kurt Busiek responded to Gail's quoted tweet of that, pointing out that actually the focus for representation should be on people who aren't represented in comics. And look, I love Kurt. Mainly because once on Twitter he told me to write a thing, so I'm totally writing it now because he spurred me on. And I think he's a great guy and he speaks up for a lot of good things. And he's very talented. And I think his point is valid to a point. I've talked about this before and I certainly don't want this to be used as an instead of promoting other forms of diversity and geekery, especially in comics. People who have been othered and made to be absent from comics should totally be getting high priority, high visibility. That's key. However, I do think it's sometimes easy for people, namely Americans, to forget that their culture isn't everyone's culture. Even though I benefit from white privilege the same way as other white people do, we don't live in the same countries with the same cultures. We have overlapping parts, but it's not the same thing. We don't live exactly the same way. So when an American says that it's not important, they're saying that as someone whose culture is represented in probably 80% of the media that I see. Like, I don't hear Australian voices in movies, TV, or animation at nearly the same frequency as I hear American voices or British voices. And yeah, we have Australian movies and TVs and animation, we have Australian books, but I don't see those voices being as universally accepted or held up as much as I do American voices. And comics are now a global thing. They're not just American-owned. And you may be wondering what an accent has to do with things. Well, one of the reasons we haven't been in the land of pod is my voice. I don't like my accent, and people in Meat Space started telling me I was noticeably Australian, and it wasn't a compliment, and it wasn't meant as a compliment. And it made me quiet, which is stupid because I've literally been paid for money for my voice. And if you don't understand what that has to do with Australians, why it's not just a problem I'm having, then it's probably because you've never heard of cultural cringe, which is big in Australia. It's where we assume things from elsewhere are better than what we've got. And I think it's compounded by the fact that from a young age, we feel the effects of tall poppy syndrome, which is making sure you don't exceed where you're from and the people around you. It's a real thing and it does happen. Not necessarily with everyone in Australia, but with a lot of us. It's built in there. And you would know that if there were more Australians in comics and TV and movie. And you put all of it together with the fact that there is a lack of representation on a world stage. It makes it really easy as an Australian to just step back. For me. And there are others that just keep moving forward and I love them for it. 
but this also isn't just about me. I'm just giving my side of it. There's entire parts of Australia that aren't represented on the world stage, and I'd like there to be. And saying, well, there's America, that's enough, erases them. Also, this gives me a really good opportunity to tell you about Ryan Griffin's latest comic book. He's the guy who wrote Clever Man. He's got a new one called Lustration. It's a type of dark fantasy style story, and one I think you should read up on. No word on its release yet, but keep an eye out for it, and obviously, I'm going to keep you informed. Come on, player two. Let's go talk about why Burt Reynolds wouldn't have made a good solo and why I know who Finn's parents are. Player two, get in the car, let's go. This is, a, this is actually a Trans Am made of the clippings from Burt Reynolds' moustache. So it's a type of moustache ride that we have. It's, you know what? When I said that in my head, that was less, much less creepy. Much, much less creepy. As you will have heard by now, Burt Reynolds, the great actor, has passed on. And in the wake of that news, there was a lot of stories about who he could have been in various movies, that he either turned down the role or was thought of as not being right for the role. And he was a great actor, and I don't mean this in any way to disrespect him. But one of the stories was that he was almost given the part of Han Solo in Star Wars. I think he turned it down, and I think that was a very good thing. Not just for him, because he got to go and still make amazing stories. Not just for Harrison Ford, because he got to be Han Solo, but for the fans as well. Let me explain. Han Solo's character is the charming rogue, but he's Weasley. His answers are a bit slapdash. He solves a problem, but you can still see the sticky tape holding everything together for dear life. And his solutions are the equivalent of hot gluing fabric together to make a shirt. It works and the ingenuity is amazing, but it's not the same as when someone's making a ball gown with hand-sewn embroidery. That, by the way, is why the Solo movie was so good. None of you went to see it, did you? No, because something something girls aren't allowed to have lightsabers or drive fancy space cars. Burt Reynolds was a great actor. But dude was far too cool to be solo. All the great acting in the world doesn't stop you from being Burt Reynolds. I think the closest character Reynolds could have played is maybe Lando Calrissian. But then why would you choose anyone other than Billy D. Williams for that role? And if Reynolds had said yes, we wouldn't have Harrison Ford. Possibly ever. This was the movie that brought him to the big screen in a big way. His ability to be the cool guy who fumbles things is key to a lot of his characters, at least in his early work. And I'm not saying Reynolds couldn't have done it. I'm just saying that Ford did it in his way that worked exceptionally well for this character. But the main reason it couldn't work? Well, if we had a smooth solo, then Lando Calrissian would have been more of the same. And Lando Calrissian is smooth. Even when falling, he sticks the landing, because that's the kind of cool he is. He may not put together the ball gown, but you can bet your Calrissian cape collection that he's worked it so someone else can steal it for him. He's a man with a plan that starts before he shows up. And sure, you can have a movie where many characters are largely interchangeable, and this will prove very popular with the masses. But the Marvel method hadn't been invented yet. So, in Star Wars, they went for a different storytelling device, which was to have all different characters that couldn't just be slotted into any given storyline. That's no hate to Marvel movies, by the way. I like the formula, we all do. That's why television is so popular. We enjoy a narrative where we've got an idea of what will happen next. It's comforting. It's not a bad thing. It's not inherently lazy to follow a formula. It's just a different type of storytelling. And there's nothing wrong with an entire movie's worth of smooth people. And by this, I mean, let's just have a movie with Lando and Boba Fett 
I don't even know how they end up hanging out together, but it's it's like Taika Waititi and Donald Glover, and it's just them sitting in a room talking at each other in various states of awesome menswear. That's that's what I would like. But to get back to the point, if Solo and Lando were interchangeable, then Leia and Lando being Finn's mum and dad wouldn't make any sense. I know, it's not canon, but hear me out as to why it should be. The chemistry between Leia and Lando is undeniable. And I don't remember any promises of monogamy between Leia and Han. What if she and Lando decided to give in to their passion for one night? They know it can never work and their mutual care for Han means even a casual love affair would never really be on their cards. Let's say, as a result, a baby is born and then adopted out because that's kind of a Skywalker tradition. And that baby ends up being Finn. Yeah, you know it makes sense. What you think Leia and Lando didn't at least once want to? Please. I'm here for Finn's parents being Leia and Lando, and you should be too. So in closing, Reynolds was a great actor, and if you get the chance, check out some of his films. Ford was the best solo though, and Finn's parents were Leia and Lando. Unless there was some super cool science and Leo and Lando and Luke found a way to have a baby together. In which case, they're both Finn's dads now. And that makes me, oh gosh, that makes me so happy. And Ray's parents are obviously Leia and Luke. If it can happen in A Song of Ice and Fire, it can happen in Star Wars. Don't let them fool you. That was definitely the inspiration for the Targaryens. That's, that's a definite. Now come on, player two. Talking of brothers and sisters and families... Let's go talk about who'd win in a fight between the Robins. Get out of the car. You, I'm going to need a lint brush. This mustache hair gets everywhere. Play two. Here we are in uh, Nightwing's lair. Not Batman's lair. Looks a lot like it. Not, not quite the same. It's a bit different but still quite similar, much like Nightwing and Batman. It's a lot cleaner here, really. We're here because it's Batman Day, the annual day that celebrates Batman's first appearance in Detective Comics back in, I think, 1939. To celebrate, DC have released another clip for Titans, which is basically the Teen Titans TV show on DC Universe, DC's streaming platform. There's been some controversy around the show because people are racist bags of sentient trash, but this show looks so good. And now they've introduced Jason Todd, one of the many Robins. I've gone through the Robins before, explaining why Batman is a bad father figure and generally a bad role model. Having said that, he's my favourite because I have obvious issues. So in true Batman style today, I want to talk about who would win in a fight amongst the Robins. I'd love to be talking to you about Batgirl or Batwoman. To be honest with you though, I don't know enough about them. I also think that comparing the Robins with each other, we get a deeper look at who Batman is. Because each Robin is a marker in his evolution as a character. Evolution in this sense not necessarily meaning he's getting better, just that he's growing in a weird and sometimes disturbing way. So, to the Robins. You got Dick Grayson, Jason Todd, Tim Drake, Damian Wayne. The origin story for these guys changes over time with small details. I think uh, Dick Grayson is the one who's been most fleshed out though, simply because Dick's the one who's been around the most. In the beginning, Dick was part of the Flying Graysons, a family of acrobatic circus folk. 
But this particular origin has been tweaked over the years to include the fact he's actually considered to be Romani. You might notice I'm not using the G word, which is a slur for Romani people. Go and look up why. This has either been uh, left out of being mentioned or retconned out of some of the stories. But I found a lot of people who talk about him being Romani is a big thing for a lot of the fans. And it's one of the aspects of who he is, so I think it's important to mention it as his origin. In The Court of Owls, his origin takes on a more, let's call it an interesting tie-in to his relationship with Batman. Jason Todd starts out as a kid who was caught stealing hubcaps, I think, and Batman gives him a chance to use his skill for good. He's a little less thankful than Dick Grayson, and he's the one that the audiences all voted to have killed off. That shouldn't make me... That's... I'm a terrible person for laughing at that, but it's very funny because we all hate Jason Todd. Tim Drake is the only Robin who actually chooses it for himself without any nudging. His story is tied in with Dick Grayson's, and while Dick is often seen as the more compassionate of all the Robins, Tim is the one who allows his care for Batman to take over more. Dick is his own man. He realises the faults of his adoptive father and doesn't allow those faults and Batman's own toxic personality and needs impinge on what he needs to do. Tim is less like that. He doesn't really see himself as an equal to Batman, and often I don't think any of the other Robins. Damien Wayne, cutest of them all, my little psycho. My favourite of the Robins, if I'm going to be honest with you. He has grown in a lab by Ra's al Ghul. He is the combination of Talia al Ghul and Bruce Wayne, a genetically perfected fighting machine and absolutely ruthless with his abilities. He's the ultimate bratty little brother of the Bat family. If you're looking for a Robin who's capable and intelligent in a fight, but also kind of mean, then Super Sons is a great introduction to Damian Wayne and also to John Kent, Superman's son. It also ties in with uh, one of the Teen Titan comics that's happening right now, I think. So, who would win in a fight? But why do we have to talk about who would win, you might say. Well, because it's fun, and it's not real, and it's another way to talk about the Bat family. Have you not worked all this out yet? That's the only reason we do it, so we can talk about it more. Now, spoilers do follow here, but I'll try and keep it as detail-light as possible, so I'm not ruining too much of it for you. To start with, I think you definitely need to look at how Grayson and Todd would tee off against one another, not because of that clip in the new Titan series, but kind of... Also, though, because they're the two who take on roles evolved from Robin. And I know what you're thinking. But what about Drake? Calm down, boo-boo. I got you. Dick Grayson becomes Nightwing. Jason Todd becomes Red Hood. And occasionally he's Nightwing. Other times I think he's pretended to be Batman as well. Jason has a lot of roles. When these two have fought, though, it's Nightwing who's generally had the upper hand. And when they've teamed up, eventually Red Hood has bowed to Nightwing's command. Oh my gods, that rhymed. I'm like, I'm like Eminem, except not a trash fire of homophobia. It's always a close race between those two, and this is why this DC Universe clip is so interesting. Putting those two together as competitors fits with the general canon of their characters. But the general rule is that Nightwing will win in fights of wit, will, and weaponry. Well, maybe not weaponry, but I like alliteration. The next two you would want to see tee off against each other is Tim Drake and Damian Wayne. The popular theory seems to be that Wayne could beat Drake in a fight because of the time when he beat Drake in that fight, but that was a sucker punch. And also, I'm pretty sure that in the Christopher Yost Red Robin, Damian gets his butt handed to him by Tim. I haven't read it, but I've read about it, so if I'm wrong, 
Please correct me. It's the internet. That's your job on the internet is to correct everyone who's wrong. Tim Drake is a proficient fighter, a capable detective just like all the other Robins, and I'd say the one most dedicated to Batman. While Dick Grayson and Damian Wayne are protecting Gotham, Tim is the one in search of Batman. Tim even takes on the Batman mantle. See, I told you I'd get to this when others won't. And I'm not saying Damian Wayne isn't an amazing fighter, he is. In fact, he's ruthless. And let's face it, his downright scary lack of moral compass make him the kind of brawler his dad would be proud of if his dad was the Joker. <gasps> Gods, what a plot twist. What if Joker was Batman's bastard brother? But to be real for a moment, Damian Wayne is a good fighter. Not just solid, but someone who can give all the other Robins a run for their money. I'm not saying he would be easily bested by Tim Drake, but I'm saying that when fighting Tim Drake, it seems like less of an even matchup because of the way Tim fights him, which is to say he holds back. So there's not enough real evidence skill-wise to determine who would be the better fighter between those two. Though from the evidence that does exist, I'd probably put some money on Tim, because dude could surprise. Now Grayson and Drake would never face off. If they did, I'd be tempted to put my money on Drake, and here's why because he's the most committed to the cause of being Robin. Even if Grayson did choose Damien to take on the Robin mantle, what does Drake do? He becomes Red Robin. Also, Drake is not only trained in all those martial arts, he's been trained by Grayson. You can't believe that Grayson would be a fantastic teacher, the kind whose students could surpass him because of his ability to lead and foster new talent? Then you don't know Dick Grayson. Now, Tim Drake against Jason Todd has often proved to be deadly. Todd has batteranged him. I think it was under part of a building collapse that Todd orchestrated once. Those two teeing off against each other never ends well for Tim. That said, Jason Todd can't beat Dick Grayson, like, ever. And Dick Grayson and Damian Wayne would probably be the most evenly matched, and I think we've had enough evidence for that, but I don't think they'd fight for an extended period of time for us to be able to determine who would really win. There's too much, let's call it mutual respect, I'm not sure that's how Damian Wayne sees it, or it's his version of mutual respect, getting in the way for us to have a clear answer. But if it did come down to it, oh, Grayson would definitely end Wayne. So, who is number one? Plot twist, it's Batman. Batman has successfully caused more pain, terror, and death in all of their lives, more than any other could inflict on them, either as a group or individuals. By making them Robins, he's brought untold violence, trauma, and all-round unhealthy forms of expressions of aggression, the effects of which will have ripple effects for years to come. You only have to have a look at New World Order, where Nightwing has grown up and is part of a fascist government, hunting down the superheroes he once fought alongside and loved. That's one way to see that Batman's influence on someone as kind and compassionate as Dick Grayson it will ultimately still be able to poison the well of goodwill. That's not me being mean to Batman, by the way. It's just who he is. Also, it means I don't have to come up with an answer as to who would win this fight. Dick Grayson does have a really cool utility belt. Wait, that's not Dick Grayson's utility. Oh, we ended up in the Batcave again. Want to go talk about pockets? Pockets are like utility belts, but I would say sometimes more important. Come on, player two. Let's roll. Also, I just pressed a, a button. I think Batman will be here soon. He's not happy with me. We should go now. Player two. As we walk back to town, I think we should discuss pockets, because let's face it, 
I'm carrying a bag and I'm always carrying a bag and it's because of pockets. Also, I promised you last time you were here, we'd talk about pockets. I know it was ages ago that I promised, but listen, meat space is ever invading. Luckily, the issue of pockets and women's clothing is ever-present. So I knew, even if I went away for a while, it'd still be a thing that I could talk about because it's always a thing I can talk about. At any given moment, whether it be in geekery with the live-action Kim Possible not having pockets, or the recent awesomeness created by Sarah Alfaji, who is an illustrator who saw Dust. Dust is a Muslim character who wears a niqab and an abaya. Which is fine. Unfortunately, the Nibaya was skin tight, which kind of goes against the whole point of the Nibaya. So Sarah remade the character. Awesomely. She shouldn't have had to, but she did, and is totally worth your time. I'll leave you some links, player two. Or you can just look at Meat Space examples where Serena Williams' full bodysuit isn't allowed, but a tutu is. And this is happening all the time, sometimes in things worthy of headlines, but most of the time in a daily grind of character designs, comic books, cartoons, games, miniatures, in all aspects of geekery, and I hate to say it, meat space as well. What women wear is consistently required to focus on looks over practicality. And this may seem like I'm overstating a problem, but I'm really not. I try not to overstate any issue, to the point where sometimes it makes it seem less of a problem than it is, in the hopes that if people don't see me as hypersensitive about it, they might do something about it. Which is not good logic. If someone is particularly affected by something, you'd think the best course of action would be to be a caring and considerate person who investigates the problem and supports solutions. But people are trash fires. So that's not how it works. Anyway, pockets are an enduring problem that we have with a lot of female characters in Geekery, across the board. And like many of these types of problems, it's just a symptom of a bigger one that we're trying to tackle. In this case, not representing women as equal characters. And yes, terming all of this as misogyny would be easier, but I don't think it comes from a hatred of women. It comes from an ingrained idea that women characters need to have their appearance placed above their jobs. I don't blame comic creators or anyone else for falling into that trap. Patriarchy is a dominant ideology, and that means it seeps into our thinking whether we like it or not. But I do think that when we're challenged, we should try and work against our own code. So why are pockets important? And there are two types of people who ask this question in all seriousness. People who have daily access to pockets, and I'm talking proper pockets, not those bags of fake holding that fashion designers sew into my jeans. And people who've never really had daily access to pockets, so they don't know the freedom that pockets bring. I'm here to tell you as a woman who will no longer buy pyjamas in the women's section. Guys, it's something else. Pockets allow you to carry things without the need of a bag. Think about it. You need your keys, wallet, phone, maybe your rail pass for wherever you're going in the world. That's all you need when you leave the house on any given day. I have to take a bag to have all of that stuff, even in the middle of winter when I have a big coat on. Why? Not enough pockets. Oh, but what about makeup, you may ask? Well, thank you, stranger. That's a very relevant question that you have. That's actually phase two of the feminist takeover. First we get pockets, then we do away with makeup. But I kid, it's not going to be the end of bags, but pockets mean we get to have a choice. So what does this have to do with geekery? Well, like I said before, it's symptomatic. And geekery, whether people like it or not, set trends. They're also led by them. Oh, but how can you do both? Oh, bless your heart, you sweet summer child. Both is not only something that can be done, it's usually done. Life, like gender, is not binary. 
When geekery leaves out women's pockets, it's telling the audience that women are there to be looked at, to be consumed as visual meals for the audience. They're, more often than not, sexual objects rather than sentient, fully formed characters. Doing things like this is sometimes referred to as the male gaze, a term that doesn't mean all men look at women like this. It means it's showing women from one perspective that men, being those that are heterosexual, or bisexual, I guess, and are following the patriarchy, view women. Because pockets ruin the line of the body. They stop us looking how you want our body to look. And the message that sends to all genders is that this is the role of women, to be pretty, to be desirable over being practical, and there to do a job. And you can argue that you don't see it that way, when women characters don't have pockets or address sexily. But don't you? I mean, really dig deep on that. Stop defending the lack of pockets and start thinking about how the lack of pockets or any other practical clothing makes you feel towards a female character. And I'm not saying I don't want there to be sexy female characters. I want that too. There's times when a lack of pockets and clothing is a good thing. And I'm certainly not against cleavage. There's a... Actually, there's a joke there, but I'm, I'm not going to say it. For instance, the Dark Eldar in Warhammer 40k. There are female characters in that. I, I think they're the succubus. I know they're part of witch cults that wear hardly any clothing. They're pretty much just in BDSM gear and there's nothing really left to the imagination. The reason they are is because a lack of covering is not only to show how fearless they are in a fight, but how competent. Their ability and status as fighters is measured by how many scars they have. The less scars, the more competent. Also, the Dark Eldar and the Dark Elves, their Warhammer cousins or progenitors, depending on where you sit with your theories about Warhammer, have a more open society as far as women are concerned. Certainly with Dark Elves, women are allowed to have many lovers, whereas the men are required to be monogamous. This is one example, and there are many within geekery. So as I said, I'm not trying to stop this stuff from being around. I just think when you needlessly take pockets from a character or restrict their clothing for an express view of titillating an audience, you're doing a disservice to that character and the audience. People don't want to see characterizations that are two-dimensional. A little, a little pocket bulge here or there might just help that along, might help flesh out the character. This is sounding way more filthy than I expected. Plus, I've never actually heard someone go, ugh, look at her, she's wearing pockets. That, that never happens. Yeah, this is a big issue for me though, because I'm a woman-type Pokemon who wants to have pockets. And it's been decades since I left the house with just a jacket and no bag. That means every time I leave the house, I'm carrying close to a kilo with me on an average day. All because some time back, someone decided that women are here to be looked at, but not be practical. And it's tiring. That's before we start talking about pressures of makeup and hair and heels and skirts. And I'm a straight-ish, cis, white woman whose body falls into the acceptable category. I've got it easy by comparison, and I'm tired. And pockets in geekery and pop culture might spur on a bit of a change. And I'd like that player to look I, I can't change your mind on pockets but what I can ask you to do for me is the next time you see a female character look at how she's dressed look at what that might be saying and as I say a lack of clothing or pockets might work for that character that you're seeing but question it honestly question it I know this isn't an English class and you hate analyzing stuff but why tearing it apart and putting it back together gives you so many more layers to love and look at and your faves can still be your faves even if they're problematic remember we 
We had this talk. Look at that, we're already back at the tavern. Come on, player two. I'll buy you a round. I actually, I left my wallet at home. I forgot to put it in my bag. I, I don't have any pockets, so maybe you'll have to shout this one. Well, player two, that's it. Remember to keep an eye out for that new Ryan Griffin comic. I'll try and keep you informed. If you want to talk with me about anything on the internet, I don't want to talk about it. Please don't point out any flaws. I'm really bad at taking criticism. But if you want to praise me, at Chaos Kitty M is how to do it. These trips to the land of pod come out sporadically. But if you can rate them highly and let people know that they come out sporadically so they won't annoy them too much on their podcast app that'd be that'd be fine that'd be okay and if you are a little bit intrigued about Warhammer 40k after hearing me talk about it remember you can always go to uh Hammer, also ozdestro.com he talks about loads of stuff with Warhammer 40k the miniatures everything that's coming out from Games Workshop definitely recommend it We'll play it too. I gotta head off. And by I've gotta head off, I mean I've gotta sit right here and you've gotta leave. Until next time, play it too.